Hello and welcome to the latest of our fortnightly funds fan podcasts brought to you by Interactive Investor in conjunction with Money Observer and MoneyWise magazines. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets at Interactive Investor and with me today is Faith Glasgow, Editor of Money Observer. We'll also be joined later by Rachel Rickard-Strauss, Editor of MoneyWise and Interactive Investor's Head of Funds Research, Dmitry Lipsky. We find ourselves at a point where market volatility has subsided slightly although most of the major indices remain in negative territory for the year to date. We're already halfway through the second quarter of the year, which, in terms of company results, is likely to be even more difficult than the first quarter. Against this backdrop, we'll be looking at some matters of topical interest, starting with the most bought funds and investment trusts through Interactive Investor in April. So, Faith, were there any dominant themes? Yes, Richard, there, there was actually. There was a very clear shift towards technology, which came through in both the funds lineup and the trusts. I guess it's further recognition of our, our reliance on technology giants and, and what they're doing for us during this period of lockdown. I mean, you know, for example, everyone is having to use Amazon to do any shopping that they want to do. Zoom is facilitating video conferencing for businesses everywhere. And Netflix is keeping us all entertained in the in the evenings but there's also companies that are actually producing the components on which these these giants rely an example being taiwan semiconductor manufacturing these are the companies that are cropping up in a lot of the funds and trusts portfolios that have become so very popular over the last month with interactive investors funds investors the examples from the from the funds lineup. Bailey Gifford American is as shot in at fifth place, fifth most popular um, fund in, in April. We've got Polar Capital Global Technology at ninth, LNG Global Technology Index at seventh, and Bailey Gifford's Global Discovery at tenth. The first three in particular have produced, amazingly, have, have managed to produce double digit returns over the year to the 4th of May. Uh, Bailey Gifford American is worth a special mention because it's actually returned 27% despite the market crashing in March. The other persisting trend, this is nothing new really in the funds lineup, is quality with Linzel Trains, Global Equity Fund and Fundsmith still very much in evidence. They've been there for, for a long time and it's not surprising that uh, investors are clinging to the strongest companies and the funds that invest in them. There's a bit less upheaval in the trust lineup, but again, there is an upturn in interest in US technology with the increase by five places of Polar Capital Technology Trust and also Alliance Technology Trust. The only new arrival or one of the only two new arrivals is, is Worldwide Healthcare Trust which is also a pretty topical choice for investors as it runs a portfolio of pharmaceutical, biotech and healthcare equipment. So it's obviously very well positioned to play a pivotal role in months ahead. Elsewhere in the in the trust lineup, there are a lot of regulars, the perennial favourites, Scottish Mortgage, Finsbury Growth and Income, F&C, City of London and Smithson are all still there. And that's not really surprising at all given that the sell-off in March would have given investors such a great opportunity to buy these attractive funds at very good discounts or low premiums. Interestingly, and related to all of this, AJ Bell had a look at the performance of funds across all sectors over the 50 days from the 23rd of March to the 11th of May or thereabouts. Again, there's a strong trend towards technology. So the, the momentum that's been seen in those 
most bought funds and trusts is, is evident in performance as well. So AJ Bell found that technology funds were one of the two leading groups with some of the top performers, including, well, you guessed it, Bailey Gifford American, but also Morgan Stanley US Growth and a firm called MFM Tech Invest Special Situations. All of them were up between 44% and 49% over those 50 days alone. And remember, that's that's a market crash. But the very strongest performance over the 50 days came from gold funds. Investors sought shelter from, from market storms, from the equity market storms in, in this safe haven asset and, and prices just went through the roof. The ES Gold and Precious Metals Fund was the lockdown winner. It went up by 55, well, 56% over 50 days, but it was closely followed by 91 Global Gold, that used to be an Investec, and also by BlackRock Gold in general. So it's been quite a, a an eventful time the last couple of months. Yes, and of course the last month um, has been a strong one in general, not least if we've driven by those technology stocks that you mentioned. They, they do make up a large percentage of both, obviously, the NASDAQ index, but also the... Um, S&P 500. But coming back to the UK, uh, income seekers have, have felt the pain as four of the top 10 dividend paying FTSE 100 companies have cut or suspended their payouts. But it may not be quite as obviously negative as that faith. That's right. Yes. I mean, it, obviously, it is clearly a very big problem for income hunters because they're so reliant on, as far as the UK is concerned, at least on, on a relatively few big blue chip companies. And when they start cutting their dividends, income seekers have to turn to less obvious ports of call. However, for other investors who are not so focused specifically on generating an income, there's a message from Schroeder's Kevin Murphy and Andrew Williams, a reckoning that that other, other investors shouldn't actually be worrying too much. They say that, and it's, you know, it's an obvious thing to state, I guess, but they point out that the dividend cuts actually enable companies to be able to protect their balance sheets because they they are just diverting the cash to strengthening their own position. And Murphy and Williams argue that it's it's much better to do that than to pay out regardless, following the patterns that were set in you know very, very different environments before the coronavirus hit us. They say that, you know, making uneconomic decisions to maintain an unsustainable dividend will ultimately destroy shareholder value. So it is sensible in the long term for us all to just suck it up, I'm afraid. Yes, and and in these extraordinary times, of course, uh, a couple of themes have emerged. On the one hand, uh, a classic sector for income would have been the banks, who obviously had the rug pulled from under them from the regulator in, in terms of being strongly advised not to pay dividends in the immediate future. But but the other thing that's most notably changed, I think, is is the fact that certainly up until two or three months ago, any company making an announcement that it was either reducing or cutting its dividend would certainly have been hammered in terms uh, of its share price. Whereas now, of course, it's almost de rigueur that uh, companies should be reducing those dividends for the reasons that you mentioned in terms of uh, cash uh, conservation and indeed to, to protect the balance sheet. Yes, absolutely. And I think an increasing number of fund managers are echoing those those sentiments that, you know, in the long term, it is the only sensible thing that companies can do. And we just, we have to take a long term view, really. Absolutely. Finally, Faith, you've got some uh, managing news from Bailey Gifford. Yes, Bailey Gifford again. Charles Plowden, who is the manager of Bailey Gifford's Monks, 
Investment Trust. He's been there since 2015. Uh, and he has announced that he's going to be retiring after his 60th birthday. And that's not actually until next April. So he's giving us plenty of notice. And clearly, they've got a strong succession plan already in place. Plowden is joint senior partner at Bailey Gifford, and he's worked there for almost 40 years. So, you know, I think he's probably due a, a bit of a break now. He currently manages several funds for Bailey Gifford, as well as Monks. He also runs the Global Alpha Strategy and the Global Alpha Growth Funds. But he's well known, he's best known really for, for what he and his team have done for Monks Investment Trust. When they took it over in 2015, they moved it from a fairly unremarkable value-based approach, focusing on recovery stocks, to a growth focus, searching out the best of the best companies. And it has actually paid off very handsomely. Over the past five years, Monks has returned 117% in share price terms, which is well over twice both the sector and the benchmark FTSE World Index returns. So Plowden has clearly been doing something very right. The good news is that his co-manager is going to be stepping up. That's Spencer Adair, who has worked with, with Charles since 2015. So he's very um, much in tune with the way the portfolio is run and uh, the type of holdings that work well for it. And he is um, not expected to make a lot of changes for obvious reasons. So we are feeling quite cheaper about Monk's future going ahead. Terrific. And many thanks for those updates, Faith. Joining us now is Rachel Rickard-Strauss, editor of MoneyWise. I understand you've recently launched a podcast. Could you tell us something about it, please? Absolutely. So at MoneyWise, we've launched a new podcast series with Interactive Investor called How to Invest. And it's obviously a great starting point for beginner investors. We delve into a lot of the sort of starting point questions around how to invest. Um, so how long should I be investing for? How do I put together a portfolio? Am I ready to invest? But I think that actually a lot of those questions are ones that it's worth more sophisticated investors stepping back and asking themselves a little bit as well. I think it's easy to get stuck, isn't it, into the nitty gritty of, of what funds or shares and their performance. And of course, all of that is important. But sometimes it's worth keeping sight of the first principles and asking yourself, why am I investing? Has my time horizon changed? Has my appetite for risk changed? So one of the things that we do on the podcast is answer a reader question we have a good old delve into it and one this month that I really enjoyed is a reader asked us about the rule of thumb that we're told about how long you need in order to be able to invest the rule of thumb that is often spouted um, is that you need a five to ten year time horizon but what is that time five to ten year time horizon relating to is it from the point at which you start investing or is it from when you might need the money so this, this reader was asking, well, they're buying a house in five years. So does that mean that they have enough time to be investing their deposit in the hope of, of growing it slightly? Or because they've only got five years until they intend to buy, should they not bother? So we thought about, well, why we say five to 10 years in the first place. And of course, it's that, that markets go up over the long term, but up and down over the short and medium term. And you have to hope that five to 10 years is sufficient, that while there might be bumps along the way, uh, you should have more 
at the end of that time period than you would have done had you left your money in a savings account, which I suppose is the alternative. Um, in that context, I think five years does look a little bit skimpy, especially if there's a, a big downturn during that time frame. And then the second thing we thought about was it can really depend what you're investing for. So in the case of a house, I think you have to think a little bit practically. If you do choose to invest your deposit, best case scenario, you might have a few hundred pounds in your deposit at the end of those five years, which is brilliant. But you have to think about the other side, the risk. If that risks the possibility that you won't have the deposit you need at the time that you want to buy your perfect home, is it worth taking that risk? Could you reach your, your target without taking on those levels of risk. And then the third thing we thought about was, well, that investing doesn't have to be static. And in fact, it shouldn't be at all, really. You can spring clean your portfolio every year to make sure that you're happy with its performance, that you're happy with levels of risk. And also that you're, as your time horizon changes, so might your appetite for risk. And so you might consider modifying your portfolio to accommodate or gradually moving into cash. So I think as a beginner, there are a lot more opportunities to ask yourself these bigger questions and um, because few people launch straight in. Lots of people do, uh, when they start investing, ask themselves bigger questions and really think it through. But as a sophisticated investor, you don't have those same sorts of triggers that cause you to reevaluate and ask yourself if, if what you're doing still makes sense. I think you're absolutely right. I think another reason for the perceived wisdom of five to ten years is that many investors of course choose to reinvest their dividends for example those that are still paying dividends and so you need a sort of minimum probably of five to ten years to uh, to start to reap the benefits of, of compounding I, I guess the other thing and i'm sure you've covered it is is just to bear in mind um, the tax shelter situation over any period at all of investing because obviously uh, you're going to be wanting as, as much of your return back um, at the end of the term as, as possible. Exactly, yes. I spoke to um, an advisor a couple of months ago who said that actually stocks and shares ISAs could be a great option for people who aren't ready to invest yet because at least yep. you have banked your money in that cash shelter so that when you are ready to do so, then you already have that allowance banked. Sure. That sounds absolutely great. In fact, I think that's, uh, that particular podcast is something we can certainly come back to in future episodes. But, uh, but for now, thank you very much indeed, Rachel. And finally this week, we are focusing on a fund from the Interactive Investor ACE30 shortlist. And we have Dmitry Lipsky, Head of Funds Research at Interactive Investor. So, Dimitri, what fund have you chosen and, and what does it invest in? I've chosen a Unicorn UK Ethical Income Fund. I think that's very relevant given the environment we are in. And uh, this particular fund is in the IIS 30 list at the moment as a recommendation for UK equity income investors. So the fund aims to deliver both income and capital growth for investors over the longer term by investing primarily in UK companies which uh, meet ethical criteria. So the fund managed by uh, highly experienced managers, Fraser McKenzie and Simon Moon, who have um, run the fund since its launch in April 2016. So the fund had over three-year track record. Managers look for companies which have a good long-term growth prospects, 
generate strong cash flows and offer an attractive dividend yield, which uh, while also meeting strict ethical criteria. Specifically on ethical screening, so they use external service to screen out companies that generate revenues from prohibited sectors and those with environmental, social and governance concerns. This translated to a zero tolerance tolerance policy towards companies involved uh, with tobacco, for example, gambling and animal testing, specifically for defense and weapons and nuclear power, a 5% maximum revenue derived from such activities is applied as well. Again, it's worth to mention that this is one of the few UK funds to offer an ethical income yield. And this fund also follows the same investment process as the better known UK income fund run by unicorn as well what do you think makes the fund special it it is special because it's one of few funds in the space with ethical overlay and we know that ethical investing sector is one which has grown in size and important in the last years partly because of the broader i guess climate change debate but also because evidence points to companies which comply more closely with environmental and governance consideration and these companies are producing better long-term returns and specifically on the fund the fund currently offer attractive yield of over five percent and also it has relatively volatile profile it has managed to deliver strong risk adjusted returns over the short and longer term i think it's important as well to mention here that this fund is offer relatively concentrated portfolio with just over 30 holdings and it's skewed to smaller mid-cap stocks as a result can demonstrate greater level of volatility compared to some some other funds in the sector so with, with that in mind what sort of investors uh, might it particularly suit this specific fund provide exposure to a proven strategy run by unicorn and with ethical overlay so it should appeal to someone who is looking for I guess, alternative source of income. Again, it's important here that this strategy is to complement the existing UK equity income holding, but not to replace it. And again, investors need to be prepared for some period of volatility. Again, this is this is something that probably be sitting in your portfolio as a satellite holding because of the concentration of the portfolio, as well as the bias to more meat and small cap companies. And, and we, we all know that these companies are uh, relatively risky. That's great. Thanks very much indeed, Dimitri. And thanks also to, to Faith and Rachel. That's all we have time for this week, but please join us again in a fortnight for the next episode.